tell you what we don't do. <laughs> I do apologize. We got a storm going on right now. So maybe that's what the issue is. But let me bring my co-host in here real fast, Mr. Cloud Nation Radio. Mr. Radio Cloud Nation, are you there? Absolutely, I'm in the building. All right, that's what I'm talking about. Hey, I got some sound that you said with this ring, man. I tell you, that would be crazy. <laughs> yes, I, yeah, I see the uh, the distortion kicking through on your uh, on your end right now. Yeah, kind of kind of bad there, kind of bad there. Oh man, but anyway, anyway, we're gonna try and make this thing work regardless. Um, hey, we got a good show for the people today, man. The Solid Dead Brothers. You know, I did a little research and it was interesting stuff. So I'm looking forward to um, talking about these these brothers there. Um, especially Mr. George Jackson himself, you know. So, um, before we get started, go and give an overview of what we're going to be talking about. Wise. Oh, you want me to, yeah, you want me to give a, a quick a quick overview? Yeah. Go ahead and knock that out for me real fast. Okay, not a problem. Well, um, for those who don't know, the uh, the infamous, infamous Solidarity Brothers, uh, were three, uh, you know, black inmates that were charged with the murder of a white prison guard, uh, specifically John Vincent Mills at uh, California's Soledad Prison. Specifically on January 16, 1970, George Jackson, Cleta Drumgoule, and John Clichetti, uh, Clichet, I might be pronouncing it wrong, they were said to uh, have murdered Mills in retaliation for the shooting deaths of three black prisoners during a prison fight in the exercise yard three days prior by another guard, OPG Miller. Some, some fun facts. Some fun facts about uh, this group, uh, Solidaire Prison specifically, where George Jackson uh, met with W. L. Nolan through the uh, Black Panther Party. In Soledad State Prison in 1969, they were transferred together to the O-Wing along with uh, Drumgoli and, and Flechetti, uh, which was uh, considered the worst part of the adjustment center of which Max Rowe is a part. According to uh, Jackson and the O-Wing, and I quote, the strongest holdout no more than a couple of weeks. It destroys the logical process of the mind. A man's thoughts become completely disorganized. The noise, madness, streaming from every throat, frustrated sounds from the bars, metallic sounds from the walls, the steel trays, the iron beds bolted to the wall, the hollow sounds from a cast iron sink or a toilet, the smells, the human waste thrown at us, unwashed bodies, the rotten food, when white kind leaves, here he's ruined for life. No black leaves Max Rowe walking. Either he leaves on the meat wagon or he leaves crawling, licking at the pig's feet. What can be verified is that the uh, prison conditions for the inmates were strict, uh, rarely being allowed to leave their cell without uh, first being handcuffed and belted or having the cuffs chained to their waist, uh, as well as uh, being subjected to uh, thorough thorough skin searches and random searches through uh, and destroying of personal effects. So in Jackson's letter, uh, which we will touch on, 
his letters from the prison, uh, he describes the attitude of the staff toward the convicts as both defensive and hostile, apparently out of pure male violence. Uh, he also, um, his account of uh, life at the uh, prison was uh, also used by the Solidarity Brothers uh, Defense uh, Committee. There was uh, a infamous prison yard riot that occurred on the 13th of, of January 1970 uh, where 14 black inmates and two white inmates from the maximum security uh, section of Solidarity Prison were released into a uh, recreation yard. It had been several months since they were uh, last released into the yard. The black prisoners were ordered to the far end of the of the yard, while the white prisoners remained near the, the center of the yard. And Officer Opie G. Miller, an expert marksman armed with a rifle, watched over the inmates from a guard tower, 13 feet, 4 meters above the yard. A fist fight ensued, and uh, Miller opened fire on the prisoners below. No warning shot. Uh, was fired. Three black inmates were killed in the shooting. W.L. Nolan and Cleveland Edwards, they died in the yard, uh, while Alvin, Alvin uh, Miller died in the, uh, the prison hospital a few hours later. A white inmate, better known as Billy D. Harris, was wounded in a groin by Miller's foot shot and ended up losing his testicles, well, losing a testicle. And in a letter from June 10th in 1970, uh, George Jackson described the scene as seeing three of his brothers having uh, been murdered by a pig shooting from 30 feet above their heads with a military rifle. Uh, following the incident, 13 black prisoners began a hunger strike in the hopes of securing an investigation. And on January 16, 1970, a um, Monterey County grand jury convened, then exonerated Miller in the deaths of Nolan Edwards and Miller, with the ruling of justifiable homicide. No black inmates were permitted to testify, including those who had been in the recreation yard during the shooting. In Solidarity Prison, inmates heard the grand jury's ruling on the prison radio. 30 minutes later, John B. Mills was found dying in another maximum security wing of the prison, having been beaten and thrown from a third-floor tier of Y wing, George Jackson's cell block. To the television room below. On February 14, 1970, after an investigation into Mills' death by prison officials George Lester Jackson, Fleeta Drumgoli, and John Wesley Clichetti uh, were indicted by the uh, Monterey County Grand Jury uh, for first degree uh, murder. And the uh, Solidarity Brothers Defense Committee uh, were formed by uh, Faye Stender uh, to assist in publicizing the case and raising funds to defend Jackson, Jerome Gooley, and Clichetti. Among the several celebrities, writers, and left-wing political activists that supported the SBDC and their cause were Julian Bond, Kay Boyle, Marlon Brando, Jane Fonda, Noam Chomsky, uh, Lawrence Ferlinghetti, Allen Ginsberg, Tom Hayden, William Kunstler, Jessica Mitford, Linus Pauling, Pete Seeger, Benjamin Spock, and Angela Davis. So in June 1970, California State Senator um, Mervyn DeMalley and the California Legislative Black Caucus pursued an investigation of Solidarity Prison 
and released a report that tried to legitimize the committee and give it some credibility. Public re reaction was mixed. Uh, by the, the middle of the month, Davis was leading the movement. Stender also arranged the uh, publication of Solidarity Brother, the prison letters of George Jackson, which was to contain various letters written by Jackson while in prison, uh, detailing his time spent in the prison throughout the trial. And on August 7, 1970, George Jackson's 17-year-old brother, Jonathan, held up a courtroom during the trial of prisoners, James McLean, charged at the time with the attempted stabbing of a Soledad guard, the Marin County Civic Center, Jonathan Jackson, after having armed McLean, temporarily freed three San Quinn prisoners and took Superior Court Judge Harold Haley, Deputy District Attorney Gary Thomas, and three women on the ju uh, jury hostage to secure uh, the freedom of the Solidarity Brothers. Jackson, McLean, Haley, and a prisoner named William Christmas were killed as they attempted to drive away from the courthouse. Haley died due to a, the discharge of a sawed-off shotgun that had been fastened to his neck with adhesive tape by the abductors. Thomas, prisoner, um, um, what's his name, Richard, Richard McGee, <laughs> and one of the jurors were wounded. Two days after this, uh, his brother's death and George Jackson's last letter in his collection of letters written while in prison, he wrote a letter uh, to his deceased brother signing it, cold and calm, though. All right, gentlemen, I'm taking over now. Revolution, Revolution George. Um, Angela Davis. All right. All right, don't tell him yeah. the whole story yet. We ain't got started oh, yet, man. Tell him the whole thing. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Don't tell him the whole thing yet. We got a whole lot of more stuff to talk about when it comes to Mr. George Jackson. Um, man, but you, you you did good. You gave him a, a good overview of um, what actually went on. And, um, you know, there's a lot, there was a lot of controversy about what actually took place um, that 21st of August um, day, you know, during the riot. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that. So. Yeah, but you you that's a good job, man. I like that. I like that. All right. Hopefully I got this sound thing taken care of now. I think the storm don't roll by a little bit, so that's good. Um <laughs> Sounds clear on my end. All right. All right, y'all. Anyway, welcome to the show. You got me and my man, co host Cloud Nation here with you. And uh we got a good show planned for you. As you heard, you um give an overview, you're gonna be talking about the Solidad brothers. Um, it's good stuff, man. Good information. I didn't even know about it till I got to researching it. So there's some good stuff going on. And you know, the interesting part about this is some of the stuff that um, happened during that time is still going on today. And um, you know, I think that makes it very um, prevalent that we do talk about it. So um, yeah, it's, it's it's real good stuff. All right. Um, Let's see. Let's get the, the other stuff out of the way. We got a song of the day for you, DJ Cool. Let me clear my throat. You know, it's Friday for you party people. I want to set y'all up right. Um, if you want to be a part of the show, no problem. Give us a call, 347-838-8622. You can email me, ericlesstalk at gmail.com. And our chat room is open, www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash Mr. Talk. So, um, yeah. Um, and we got a couple little nuggets for you. <laughs> You know, I always got a little nuggets to get your mind to thinking. Um, 
here. But first, what we're going to do, we're going to go and knock the song of the day out the way. You know, get your heads above and get your blood flowing a little bit. And uh, we'll be back here shortly to get the show on the road. All right, here's your song of the day, y'all. DJ Cool. <coughs> Let me clear my throat. One, two, three, come on. We got DJ Cool and Duck get come fresh. On. Rock it to the beat, cause we are the best. We got Ducky Fresh and Biz Marquee. Hey. Rock it to the beat in the place to be. We got Biz Marquee and DJ Twenty. So hit me with your horns and make that money. Take it back. 
wherever you're standing at right now, and it's all good in here. Make some noise. Yo, get the flavor of the rhythm, I know. Well, I got it, so if you let me clear my throat. Thank you. 
hold up. Smoke weed every day.
court's reasoning, the court said, was that the statute listed several circumstances that constitute force and yet was silent on incapacitation due to the victim drinking alcohol. We were not in order to justify prosecution of a person for an offense in largest statute beyond the fair meaning of its language. Oh, Lord. The Tulsa County District Attorney who was leading the case said, the plain meaning of forceful or sodomy of using force includes taking advantage of a victim who was too intoxicated to consent. <laughs> um, this is crazy. And um, Oklahoma has a separate rape statute that protects victims who are too intoxicated to consent to vaginal or anal intercourse. This case, because it did not involve vaginal rape, but an oral violation seems to be one of the the loopholes in the law. Ain't that about some craziness? That, so, if you're in the state of Oklahoma, you get too drunk, and somebody you don't know take you home and take advantage of you by the, um, performing oral sex on you, hey, you just got did up. <laughs> you just got did up. I'm just saying, no! all right? <laughs> that's, that, that's the bottom line You got did up There's nothing you can do about it That's about some crazy stuff though But wait a minute I'm kind of crazy How did he get his DNA on her leg I, I know that's <laughs> That's probably something Another show But yeah I, I, said, I understand the mouth But I, I'm trying to figure out the leg part But it's not for me to um, try to figure that out But um, yeah So Oh, Lord, that's 27 April, 2016. And notice he was 17 and the girl was 16. Wow. Alcohol content above 0.34. See? So if you got daughters, I'm telling you, if you got daughters, or even your sons, you better tell them, leave that stuff alone. They won't have no leg. They just be violated. Okay? <laughs> Shut up, JC. Oh, Lord, have mercy. That is just crazy. All right. I just had to read that because I couldn't believe it when I read it, man. I had to let y'all y'all hear that for itself. That's just cuckoo for Cocoa Puff. But anyway, it's, that's what it, what it is. But here's one that has a lot to do with everybody. If you have a computer, if you have a phone, any electronic device, that you can communicate on, um, this will apply to you. The Supreme Court expands FBI hacking powers. Okay? The U.S. Supreme Court approved a new rule Thursday allowing federal judges issue warrants that target computers outside their jurisdiction, setting the stage for a major expansion of surveillance and hacking powers by federal law enforcement agencies. Chief Justice John Roberts submitted the rule to Congress on behalf of the court as part of the Justice Angle package of changes to the federal rules of criminal criminal procedure. Man, I tell you, it's just it's just getting better, ain't it? Um, under Rule Forty One's current incarnation. 
federal magistrate judges can typically only authorize searches and seizures within their own jurisdiction. Only in a handful of circumstances can judges approve a warrant that reaches beyond their territory. If, for example, they allow federal agents to use a tracking device that could move through multiple judicial districts. The amendments drafted by a panel of federal judges at the Justice Department's request add another exception. It would allow a magistrate judge to issue a warrant to hack and seize data stored on a computer, even if that computer's actual location has been concealed through technical means. In other words, under the new law, a judge in California could approve a warrant allowing federal agents to lawfully hack into a computer without knowing its true location, whether it be New York, Budapest, or one of Jupiter's moons. Before I read on the rest of this, you know what? All they're doing is making it legal for what they've been doing for years. That's all this is. And you kind of can um, thank um, Apple and the, 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 the phone, you know, with the phone thing. They're just making it um, legal now. It's not like they haven't been doing it. Edward Snowden told you about all this stuff before. So they're just making it legal, that's all. Um, Oregon Senator Ron Whedon, a Democrat and longtime critic of federal surveillance programs, also criticized proposed changes as a sprawling expansion of government surveillance. He said a statement under proposed rules, the government would be not be able to obtain a single warrant to access and search thousands or millions of computers at once. And the vast majority of the affected computers would belong to the victims, not the perpetrators of a cyber crime. So he plans to introduce legislation to block the new rule. Um, the new changes automatically go into effect on December the 1st, unless Congress votes to override them. Now, we already know Congress ain't voting to override nothing this year. So, December 1st, you better stop sending them messages. <laughs> and like I said before, the changes came in the wake of a high-profile showdown over encryption between Apple and the Justice Department in February. There you have it. Put it on your calendars, y'all. December 1st, no matter where you are, how you bouncing your signals off this, that, and the other, <laughs> they gonna get you. <laughs> they gonna get you. All right. The last little nugget before um, I let Cloud get started on Mr. Wash, Mr. Jackson. Secret U.S. court issues first order for phone data under new law. The secretive U.S. Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court has issued its first order allowing the National Security Agency to collect telephone records under a new electronic spying law Congress passed this year. I'm telling you, boy, they, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. I agree. Um, Ooh, man. The order signed by the Federal Intelligence Surveillance Chief Judge Thomas Hogan said the court concluded that a surveillance application apparently submitted by the NSA met the requirements of the USA Freedom Act, which President Obama signed last year. <laughs> uh, 
That law replaced an older one that allowed the NSA to collect telephone metadata records of American citizens and residents calls, including their origin and destination, when a call was placed and how long it lasted. However, U.S. intelligence officials have said the NSA did not collect the content of phone calls under this program and did not look at the data without some specific justification. Okay, can you say lie? I'm going to have to give you some sound effects like that, boy, I tell you. <laughs> I think I'll work on that just Yeah. <laughs> Under the new law and revised procedures, the government no longer collects bulk telephone metadata, but must request targeted information from telecoms companies after obtaining authorization from the Foreign Intelligence Court. Morgan says in the opinion that the government was seeking the ongoing daily production of detailed call records relating to an authorized international terrorism investigation, but does not offer further detail about the nature of the investigation. Of course they don't. The judge also said that although the new surveillance law requires government agencies to properly destroy telephone metadata, that it might have mistakenly collected on U.S. persons. (laughs) Mistakenly. Ain't that a good one, boy? I tell you. They sometimes can retain data for as long as six months. They have reason to believe it could provide evidence of a crime. Now, y'all heard it. It's there. And, but here's the interesting thing, though, and they, they mentioned it. Number one, this stems from um, that battle Apple and the Justice Department was having, okay, over to trying to get the information off that phone. And by the way, they arrested, I think, three or four people in that case. Um, They're not telling you what they arrested them on, but they arrested them. But another, I think another um, aspect of of these two um, laws going into effect is Hillary Clinton and her email scandal thing. Uh, So... I'm just saying, if you're doing something out there you ain't got no business doing, you better stop it. Because we already know that Mr. Smith is out there listening. So now he has permission to do more than listen. Okay? So, it is what it is. It is what it is. You know, I I don't even know why it's even, even surprising. But no, it's surprising, though. Now, you hear... Everything going on about Congress and what they're not doing, it's amazing how they get the, they pass that without nobody knowing about it, huh? Yeah. Yeah. So it's not like Congress not doing anything. <laughs> they're doing something, but it's not for the best of the, of the, of the um, American people. That's for dang old sure. But you know what, J.C., I agree with you. They need to have Congress computers. They really do. They need to drug test them. They need to limit them to three, four years. And I think a lot of stuff would change. I really do. Of course, oh, that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> All right, Cloud. That's no sound effect. <laughs> That's good, though. I like that. <laughs> oh, Lord, have mercy. So, anyway. That's um, that's what it is. Uh, 
Cloud, you got any comments on any of those little nuggets I threw out there before we get to the, the main topic of the day? No, I think you got to handle it. Yeah, I'm telling you, man, it's just it's just wild. <laughs> it's wild. Okay, so that's what that was, man. Uh, and I, I, you know, I said, okay, I'll wait till Monday to to you know bring that up. But I couldn't because I already know over the weekend some news agency gonna pick it up and they're gonna roll with it. And I wanted to be the first. <laughs> that's all that was. <laughs> I was being selfish. All right, so. Um. I'll, okay, I'm gonna be fair. I'm gonna do this. Okay, if you have any comments about the three little nuggets I just showed, share with you. You got ten minutes to call in and talk to me about it. Ten minutes. I'll give you ten minutes before we get to the next uh to, to the main main thing. Ten minutes. So if y'all want to talk about that, call me three four seven eight three eight eight six two two. If not, we can keep rolling on here because that's good. How, how many of y'all knew there was a secret U.S. court? You know, I, I, <laughs> secret U.S. court issues first order for phone data under new law. I didn't, man, I tell you. The secretive U.S. Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court. I didn't even know that place existed. Hmm. I wonder who runs that that little department of the good men. <laughs> but anyway. Okay, I see y'all don't want to talk about that. Let's move on to George Jackson, George Conrad Jackson, all right? Mr. George Conrad Jackson was one of three prisoners called the Soledad Brothers, okay? Um, oh, Lord, my allergies kicking in. Uh, he was a member of the Black Panther Party, Black Gorilla Family. He was an internationalist. And a Marxist. Okay, so, you know, and many, and believe it or not, because he joined the Black Panther Party 18 months before um, he actually was killed, but a lot of them considered him to be the next Malcolm X, which said a lot about the, the knowledge and, and, and that this brother was putting out. Now, let's, let, let me go on and back up for a minute. By no means, by no means was this cat squeaky clean, okay? Um, from childhood, he stayed in trouble with the law. From childhood. You know, his mom moved him they, from Chicago when he was getting into law, moving out to L.A. with his dad. He kept getting in trouble there, too. Um, he, uh, he was a very, um, how can I put it, deep brother. And a lot of that, I think, came from his time in solitary confinement. Because, you know, we, we talk about on the show all the time how you go to prison. I mean, you go to you go to court, and they give you these little suck-up public defenders. Well, that's how he got caught up. Um, let's see. He was – I got it right here. He committed a, 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 a robbery. Yeah, he committed a robbery. And um, he got caught. So he accepted a plea bargain that his public defender attorney decided to tell him um, to do that so he would receive a lighter sentence. Now, I'm telling y'all right now, don't do it. 
Okay, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. That's a setup. Okay, that's a setup. But in this case, you know, they figured he would, he would receive maybe three, four years at the most. He'd be free. But what he got was one year to life, a sentence of one year to I had never heard of that. I had never heard that. One year to life, which meant every year he would have to face the parole board, okay? Every year he would have to go back to the parole board. And he was denied parole eight times during his imprisonment for whatever reason some say, well, he violated rules. Some say he was just defiant. You know, whatever it was, he was denied parole. He served 11 years and seven months, and seven of those years were spent in complete solitary confinement. Now, and this is where the story really begins to take off, okay? While in solitary confinement, he began to read books, 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 okay? And he read a lot of them, a whole lot of them. All right, Cloud, you jump in when you get ready, man, okay? Um and as he read, it began, began to feed, he began to feed off of it, you know, the revolutionary uh, um, knowledge that he was, he was gaining. And he believed in the theory of revolution. Um, Mayor, Mayor, hold on, Mayor Tong, Tong, you know, I've been saying it all day long. Now I can, I'm on the air and I can't even say it right. Mayor say Tong, y'all know who I'm talking about. Art of War, yeah, him. But anyway, he believed in the um, the theory of revolution. Now that was it was really interesting uh, because I had to go and look that up. Um, and Mao Zedong had basically uh, the Cultural Revolution had at least two goals. One was to restore the leadership, well, we ain't talking about that, which had faded, and another was to create a society that truly reflected. Socialist ideals And Jackson Constantly talked about those things Because he felt like There was no way that A black man could survive Or make it in a democratic um, Society Just that simple And he often talked about that Over and over again You know um, He also believed that Political revolution could only follow Cultural revolution in other words, changing people's patterns of thinking and everyday behavior, which was he considered the first steps to true liberation. You know, he also uh, believed in the four O's should be smashed, which was old thinking, old culture, old customs, and old habits. He believed that all that had to go, had to get out of there before anything could be able to change. I mean, this brother really was... <clears throat> This brother really was in, into something really deep, and as we 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 gonna get into it, um, he began to realize that something needed to be done, and he began to take on a lot of the the uh, how can I say the the thought process of Malcolm X, you know, by any means necessary. Any means necessary, you know. Things has got to change. Um, but when his little brother was killed after the, you know a botched kidnapping attempt, 
attempt uh, of a courtroom, which, by the way, was kind of um, strange because the brother had made it out to the van. They, they had a van. The little brother had made it out to the van with the hostages. And there was an order given to let them go, okay? Let them go. Let them go. But the interesting part about this whole thing was there's just so happened to be guards there in that area um, doing some kind of drills. And the report says that the guards didn't get the order to let them go. So they opened fire on the van, killing um, his brother. Jackson's little brother. I forgot his name. I think it's Jonathan. Yeah, Jonathan Jackson. Well, uh, they had a judge. The judge ended up being killed as well because they had taken a shotgun around the judge's neck. So as they got fired, they got fired upon. Something happened and the judge died. (laughs) He He got his head shot off. But he was, and once that happened, George Jackson really began um, the in, his the inmates that were there with him said he he began to change a little bit. You know that took a lot out of him, and he did become a little bit more militant. Excuse me, a, a little bit more militant, and uh, things begin to spiral out of hand then. Um, Cloud, anything you want to add to it while I'm going on? Uh, I guess the, the only thing, yeah, the only thing I probably would add is, um, is you you were touching on some of the um, the influences that he uh, came across while studying, such as theories of Mao Zedong, uh, Francis Fanon, and even uh, Fidel Castro, and which which that caught my attention. And we know he he developed these. Uh, these strong ideas viewing capitalism as as the source of oppression of people of color, and he became, you know, this this leader in uh, the politicization of uh, you know black and and Chicano prisoners in Soledad, and, uh, and we know in January 16, 1970, in response to the death of uh, three black uh, Muslims, or uh, you know, a guard John Mills was killed. And that was when, uh, you know, Fleeta, John Doe, John Clichetti were accused of murder. And the, um, that's when they started to become well known as the, as the Soledad brothers. And we know that they're, they gave a lot of traction from that. Um, you know, the fate of the Soledad brothers spread internationally, uh, which, you know, focused on the, the, the treatment specifically of blacks in prison, but it, it really, like you said, it shed light on the in, the industrial complex, the prison industrial complex, and a few of his publications, um, including the Solidarity Brother book, was actually um, added to his visibility. It was uh, a lot of his supporters and stuff, They, you know, they celebrated him. Uh, a lot of people talked about him, them being victims of, of a... Um, what they call a prison conspiracy. And in August, as you know, Jackson's brother, we, we talked about that earlier, was was killed in the Marion County uh, Courthouse in an attempt to rescue, to be rescued. So, you know, after they were transferred, after he was transferred to San Quentin, 
which we know the history of San Quentin Prison, uh, three days before he was to go to trial, uh, the 29-year-old at that time, Jackson, allegedly um, launched an, an uprising. He launched an uprising in San Quentin uh, before Jackson was killed by by a guard. It's, you know, the, how it ended, unfortunately. But um, I think it left five, what, five men, two guards, and three prisoners dead, if I'm not mistaken. And, the, uh, you know, and there's a lot of, like you said, a lot of conflicting um, emotions and feelings of, of the various people that were, who survived that, that incident. And we know that many in the Black Power movement and the the new the new left at that time eulogized Jackson as as a martyr and as a hero. So he's to this day, uh, those are areas of thought. People who subscribe us to those ideologies uh, still celebrate him to you know him today, and and they still uh, highlight their efforts. During that time, like you said, as a young a young guy, he uh, he did he was in and out of jail. He did get into a lot of uh, stuff, a lot of incidents. Uh, what caught my attention though that he was that he was a uh, a highly acclaimed writer even in high school. Uh, he went to a he actually went to an arts a arts high school, uh, and a lot of people highlighted his his body of work, his his ability to write, and we know that the letters that he wrote in prison uh, ultimately became a major, 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 major book, I think, um, which which is how the uh, Solidarity Brother book, the classic um, in black literature and, and political philosophy, I think it sold more than 400,000 copies before it went out of print. Uh, so it's Obviously, it, it did pretty well. Uh, like you said, he was educated into a uh, imprisoned into a revolutionary, and um, you know, George. They also uh, spent a lot of time, like you said, uh, dealing with these these various thoughts, these various um, ideologies, these different philosophies. And I think, like you said, in that in that time of confinement, um, it allowed him to honed in cognitively and like really cognitively spark his his, his intellect and, and really start to uh, come into his own, so to speak, and um, demonstrate uh, a level a level of influence uh, that was, like you said, next to none. I mean, the closest thing to it at the time was was Malcolm X, which is why he was, like you said, probably considered to be. Um, the, the next on the rise um, Malcolm X type uh, uh, individual. I think he also uh, he I know he released the book that book uh, Solidarity Brother and I know it got critical acclaim and also in, in France along with the United States. Uh, I think it was introduced by renowned French um, dramatist Jean Genet in the fall of 1970, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, I think a year after that, in a couple of days before opening of his uh, of George's trial, Jackson was shot. That's when he was shot to death in the uh, San Quentin prison in a uh, purported escape attempt. 
as we talked about. And um, it was the celebrated uh, writer James Baldwin who wrote um, that no black person will ever believe that George Jackson died the way they tell us he did. So, so a lot of meaning, you know, a lot of people wrestle with the the um, suggestions and the um, the reasons that they gave for for the need to for his execution style uh, murder within the prison, and I think uh, that, that's why we hear, we listen to people like Michelle Alexander today, who reinforces the importance of not just prison reform, but exposing, you know, the flaws, the faulties, the falsehoods, and the inner inner workings of the prison industrial complex, from the dollars and cents uh, to the um, brutality and the inhumane conditions and the various various nature in which um, they psychologically and physically um, castrate individuals in a place that was um, promoted and projected to be a place of rebirth of um, you know a place of re- reformation is 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 what it's uh, been you know considered to be is it, supposed to be the idea behind it that's that's what's been projected so i think I think one thing that makes you know, George, uh, a fascinating study is the complexity of his nature. You know, he he really demonstrates the complexity of humanity. Uh, you know, you on one end, you know, you got people who probably would see, look at the his past and his 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 decisions and his mistakes and faults. Um, you know that. You know, can be debated. I mean, you know, the the, the in and out of jail, the, the 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 decisions that kept him in the prison uh, as a youth can you know those can be uh, denounced. But but the what also is 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 fascinating is is like Malcolm is the the evolution of the man, and um, I think that's that for me is, is you know when I watch. In reading, you know, the biography, autobiographies of people like Malcolm X, like George, um, you know, like like the the mighty Fred Hampton, uh, was one of the things that's fascinating is that butterfly effect, the evolutionary of the man, where you watch the maturity and the uh, the growth, um, the character, you know, and the, the various textures and layers of their personality. Um, you know, unraveling in in unforeseen ways and unexpected ways, and how they they you know people who you know the the least of these and the the the, the people that were wrote off at, at an early stage of their lives have be you know become some some of the the most phenomenal giants in whom we sit on their shoulders today, and whose lives and legacies. Are um, are um, infinite, infinite in in nature in in the level of legacy uh, that they they garner. That's a very good, very good point. Very good points. 
Um, you know, because while he was in San Quentin, San Quentin, because he wrote another book too called Blood in My Eye, which was his second book. And um, in that book, he predicted and called for a civil war in the United States. And he also predicted his own murder in prison, which, you know, wasn't hard to see. That wasn't going to happen just um, by what was going on. And a week after the the completion of Blood in My Eye, uh, he was killed. (laughs) Not a week after, a week later, you know. Um, But while while he was, there was an older um, gentleman inmate when he was in San Quentin. You know, um, he was under the tutelage of W.L. Nolan, you know, and that's who actually familiarized him with the writings of, uh, uh, you know, a lot of radical political people, you know, including Karl Marx, Messe Tongue, and black Algerian psychologist Franz Fanon. So, you know, uh, when you have nothing but time on your hand and you steady reading, read, read, read Man, I tell you, that's just knowledge going in. It's got to come out somewhere, right? And, uh, you know, through that, you know, he eventually became what they called a leftist when, it, as far as his political thoughts, you know. And the more he read, uh, the more he began to believe that um, his crimes and, and imprisonment was nothing but a political context for him to, you know, uh, feed off of. Feed, I mean, just feed off of it. And eventually he became the leader of um, a group of inmates at San Quentin, you know, that basically believed the same way he did in, in, in the whole situation. Um, we keep mentioning the Solid Brothers and, I, and the Solid Dead Brothers, and I guess we need to give some names. One name, um, one of them name was Fleeta Drumgoo, and the other one was John Cliche. Those are other two prisoners with him that were... Um, Accused of, of killing the guards, well, they really didn't. They, somebody threw them over the banister on the third, off the third um, tier, threw them down. Okay, <laughs> and um, in an interview, I put the links in the chat room, and the interview wonder the, the interviewers asked him, "Did you kill um, the guard? I forgot the guard's name. What's the guard name again uh, on Cloud? You remember?" But anyway, that must be, uh, anyway, I think that's Mills you're talking about, right? Yeah, Mills, Mills, right, right. And you know, and he say, you know, uh, part of revolutionary is, you don't tell your secrets. So are you sitting here trying to get me to tell it? Uh, no, I'm not saying I did that. You know, and I, I thought that was very interesting the way it was done. You know, to try and get him on the sly to incriminate himself, and I'm like. Yeah, this brother on top of it, you know, because he had this this little sly look on his face when when he realized what was going on. But you know, because I'm be honest with you, when you when you brought this up, I had no idea who this guy was, so I had to go and do some research. And the more I dug, the more his death really seemed more of a setup than anything. Because let's let's be honest, even today's society, if you speak out against Mister Smith. They're going to label you something, okay? In this case, he was called a Marxist. He was called a communist, uh, a revolutionary, a militant, whatever name, negative name they could put on his brother, that's what they called him, 
okay? Just the same as today, except for the word today is thug. <laughs> Let's be honest, that's the word today, thug. It means the same thing now that it meant back then, okay? Derogatory term, that's what I call it. <clears throat> but him and Angela Davis became real close, um, very close, you know, not only as fellow revolutionaries, but, you know, as man-woman closeness. And they kind of used that against her as well, believe it or not, when when everything went down. Because they, they accused her of conspiracy, murder, murder, and kidnapping. Of course, she had nothing to do with it. They were just close like that. Um, the whole, the day, the day that he was shot and killed, that's where the controversy comes in at. And here's why. Because apparently there was a lawyer that went to see him. Um, I had the guy's name right here. And what happened, Stephen Bingham, okay? Now, what they said is when Stephen Bingham went to see him, he slipped him. <laughs> and this is where it gets really crazy. He, he, Bingham slipped him a 9-millimeter pistol and an Afro wig. And the guards say when they went in to, okay, when Bingham went in, you know, you have to get checked or whatever before you go and see someone in, in jail. You know, they say they opened his briefcase, and the only thing he had in there was a tape recorder. Now, this is what the guards said. So, but <clears throat> later on, all of a sudden, Bingham was supposedly have slipped a 9 millimeter pistol, and an Afro wig to Jackson. Okay? Now, apparently Jackson put the wig on and had the 9 millimeter inside the Afro wig. Now, I have an Afro wig, okay? Number one, you're not going to keep no weapon in it. <laughs> you're not going to keep no clips in it because it's just not built that way. Number two, you saying that's all was in the briefcase. So where did the weapon come from? You check this guy all the way around. Where did the, the, the pistol come from? So, you know, and it, it really became, it got conflicted. Um, and what eventually happened was once uh, the riot actually happened, reports are that um, this was from the other inmates that were with him that um, Jackson said, it's me they want. It's me they want. And he ran out of the, the um, building they were in. You have to excuse my allergies acting up, so I have to take a break talking sometime. Um, <laughs> they ran out of the reception. Was it the reception center? Or what did they call that thing? Uh, I got it in my notes right here. Um, the adjustment center. He ran out the adjustment center. Now, what they're saying is he was running out trying to escape. Now, from the wall, which was 30 foot high, he had to run about 50 yards to even get to the wall. Okay? Now, what the, the guards are saying is they fired one shot. It went in his back. Ricocheted up through his head. Okay. However, our witnesses say, and the coroner, 
report says there were more than one shot. Okay, but that's all the prisoners are saying. And definitely he was shot in the back. So when you look at this, you're like, hmm, was he really trying to escape? Or was he just basically saying, uh, let me give them what they want? No, I can make more of a difference if they kill me than I, I am alive here. Because apparently he wasn't getting out of prison anytime soon. Okay? It, it wasn't happening. And I would tell you, it was so bad that the prison, what they did, the guards that were killed, right, they informed the guards' family uh, about their guards being killed. But they failed to inform Jackson's mother anything. She said she had to learn about it. She learned about it over the radio, over the radio. Now, if everything is going up and up, why not inform her, inform her, let her know her son has been killed? Why not? Why do you keep it such hush-hush? You know? Um, as I mentioned before, you know, he joined the Black Panther Party 18 months before he died, and he was considered a field marshal, a field marshal. He would be Newton, Bobby Seale, and a couple of Angel Davis. All of them spoke at, at, funeral, at his funeral. Which was large. What large. And what happened was the authorities instead of said, Okay, leave it alone, they accused Angela Davis, she fled. They accused the attorney Stephen Bingham, he fled the country. Okay. Because it wasn't right what happened and uh they were just out to try and prove you get anybody they could to stop what they would consider was gonna be a revolution. You know what I mean? Hey Tootie Fruity, welcome to the show. <laughs> Tootie Fruity, I like that name. <laughs> um so when you look at this thing, you really have to uh, um look at it with your eyes open because we all know that the prison industrial system has been bad for a long time. And as bad as it is now, it was even worse back then, okay? Even so, to where you got African-Americans in the prison, and they got it by white, white guards. Now, the warrant, the warning um, will actually claim and say, well, you know, this was a, a, a tinderbox waiting to happen because you had the KKK, you had the skinheads, all of them just waiting for something to happen. But it's interesting that when this actually went on, it wasn't the the prisoners against the prisoners, it was the prisoners against the guards. And only certain ones were attacked. So they say. Now, there's another guy involved, Captain, what's the captain? I got it here in my notes somewhere. Uh, that said, when he came down, it was something totally different from what has been reported, because he ended up being placed in solitary confinement until his release. Was it Colonel Nayati Boat? And um, what he says is, um, he remembers the day of the Jackson assassination. See, he even calls it an assassination. Okay. Um, both 
Colonel Bolt was working in the medical unit, and he explains that he was ordered to bring gurneys down before he heard any gunshots, leading him to believe that the guards shooting of Jackson was planned. When Bolt arrived outside and began to approach Jackson's body to provide medical attention, the guards shot at him. <laughs> you know, they shot at him. Which, in other words, he he took off. He went back inside, which I can't say I blame him. So, um, after that point, Bolt said he was immediately put in closed cell restriction, basically solitary confinement, and officially because he was under suspicion for involvement in the prison guards there. You know, um, months later, they took about their question about the prison guards, whatever. He's told them the same thing. They sent him back to solitary confinement when he spent the next 20 years in continuous solitary confinement until he was released in 1992. Really? And you tell me it was all, uh, everything was on the up and up? No, it wasn't on the up and up. You know, why keep someone in, man, can't just, can you imagine being in solitary confinement for 20 straight years? 20 straight years, y'all. Because you want to tell the truth, but they don't want you to tell the truth. So what they do, put you away. Somewhere they know nobody's going to worry about you. And I can only imagine the, 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 the treatment that the guy was getting. You know? <laughs> Just crazy, man. Crazy. But uh, back to Jackson. You know, oh, and apparently the pistol that Jackson supposedly had uh, had been purchased two years prior by the Black Panther Party. That, Of course, that's what the, the report said. But to this day, no one still can um, say how the pistol really got in there. <laughs> yeah, we know how it really got in there. Hmm. But another interesting thing, a week before, a week before the Solid Dead Brothers were supposed to go on trial is when this um, so-called riot happened and um, Mr. Jackson was killed. Interesting, huh? Now, to add to that, the other two went on trial. They were acquitted. Okay? They finally uh, caught up with Angela Davis. She went on trial. She was acquitted. The lawyer, Stephen Bingham, he came back from overseas. They put him on trial. He was acquitted. And this is all white juries now. So my question is, what really happened? What really happened? Little things like that. Um, Cloud, you got anything you want to add before I let the caller in? Uh, I guess oh. the I guess the only thing the only thing that I I would probably add I'm trying to I'm trying to think of well we we already touched on you know the, the books that he wrote but I guess the only thing it was something I wanted to to get to that's that's in my notes as well and here it is 
So we know that the the COINTEL Pro. That's that's the uh, <laughs> that's the part that that stuck out. You know, COINTEL Pro. You know, considered mm-hmm. the uh, like the the convert government program used to uh, dismantle the Black Panther Party and later American Indian Movement. Uh, we know it's, it's typically cited by by uh, many people as a particularly in the left, as a uh, damning example of the uh, most unlawful, insidious sales of government in the nation's history. Uh, COINTELPRO, however, uh, was really a, a, a symptomatic, expandable entity. It was, uh, you know, a small police force with, you know, a larger one, FBI, within a government executive, that is, within the government itself, you know, liberal democracy, Within the economic system, capitalism, you know, you have reformists and radicals clothing unknowingly argued against symptoms rather than the roots uh, of the the entrenched system. And when we're dealing with the uh, industrial complex, and you, you listen to uh, attorneys like um, Michelle Alexander, uh, you know, COINTELPRO comes up, and, you know, in the FBI, in the fact that they would not alter. Uh, the, the structure of that produces, you know, the, the surveillance elimination apparatus. So we know that in George's day, others who considered themselves left of center or, or even revolutionary typically concerned themselves with inner city reform issues, uh, mostly in, in, in underdeveloped communities like, you know, particularly black communities. Um, so, so we know that the problem of in debate about you know, inner city still exists today, and um, recognition of a problem and analysis of a problem are, are two very different challenges. And uh, the, the demand to uh, better only predominantly black inner city conditions, we know is unrealistic. But we also know in this, in this, uh, I guess you say, the capitalist structure, you know, there has to be an upper, a middle, and especially a lower class are uh, improving. Black neighborhoods is, is is the equivalent of some would say ghettoizing uh, some other segments of the population, and so you have along with poor blacks, you you hear in in, in statistics and and examples of analysis of poor whites, Hispanics, Asians, etc. And nothing intrinsic to the system will change. Only uh, we only see the superficial alterations that that will mollify the you know the public. So. We know that a big part of of the the, the outcries and the revolutionary uh, things that George did uh, was he he touched on not being a fan of the status quo, and that there was a lot of conditions and, and, and issues and things of that nature that bothered him. And so, uh, I, I'm, in, in closing, I just wanted to just reiterate that part that we know that a a, a big big issue, one of the big issues because there were several that he had. Uh, you know, with the, the conditions of the prison industrial complex, is is with all the status quo issues that was going on, all the uh, everything from the conditions to to the uh, issues with certain rights that they dealt with, and, and the fact that he was in the, he was in prison in the first place because of the ills and in, in, in the issues that within that system uh, because. Honestly, when you're looking back on it, uh, several attorneys discussed how, you know, basically he went away a long time for something that he could have walked away from. 
with the right uh, representation, legal representation. That is so true. That is so true. You know, and and um, I'm gonna let this caller come in in a moment, but I need to say this. You know, in one of his interviews, he made a very interesting, I say, very interesting statement when it came to uh, the black man and the black woman being together. And basically, what he said was the only way a woman, a black woman, could be liberated is by being in the arms of a black liberated man. And I just stopped for a moment and just said, "Wow." You know, and he believed in getting. The, he wanted to get the community involved in the anti-establishment movement too, to do exactly that, change the status quo. You know, get away from, uh, say, the three O's, the old habits that had become the norm. You know, that was basically uh, not for the African American or the black. You know, in America, so you know that I thought that was a very Interesting um, statement that he made, you know, spoke a little bit about um, uh, abortion, you know, uh, mothers raising raising sons. I mean, he really had a, a he was a, a deep brother, believe it or not, you know. And I think, you know, I don't care who you are. Eventually, you know, you have so much information or knowledge into you, you know, it has to come out. And eventually, if you can't really let it out, you you become, you become a prisoner of your own thoughts. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah. And I think in, in the kind of way that that is eventually what happened to him, added added to the death of his little brother. You know, and I think that really just ate at him a little bit more than most people realize. But let me bring this call in right here. Uh, they've been waiting patiently, and I do appreciate that. Uh okay. Eight one six, welcome to the show. Who do I have here? That's Renee. Hi, Renee. How you doing? Peace, Mr. Talk. I'm fine. How are you? I'm doing good. <laughs> I'm doing good. Mm-hmm. Fighting allergies and rain, but I'm doing good. You say right now what? I say fighting allergies and rain, but I'm doing oh. well. Oh, okay. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, well, I hope you feel better, but, um, right. I saw, I saw the topics so I was like, and that you were on, I was like, mm-hmm. oh my goodness, um, I had to call because this is, um, I've done a, a, so much, um, a lot of research on George Jackson and, mm-hmm. um, okay. you know, that whole case and. Mm-hmm. You know, all of that brothers and that the whole situation and um I mean it is just so much that I wish that more of our people knew and understood, um, you know, about what it is that he wanted to do and was trying to do, how he committed a crime, um, he got the longest sentence ever. Um I think he he um held up a gas station for what did he get? Like seventy, forty dollars, something. Um, Seventy-one dollars. Seventy-one dollars. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and um, they sentenced him. Um, what was it? One year to life, one year, or something like that. Yeah, one year to life. I, I said I right. never heard of that. One year to life. No. no. <laughs> so, you know, from the outset, that sounds like a setup, right there. Yeah. You know, which is that. You know. 
uh, we're going to do with him what we will, which is what they do anyway. But um, and so, of course, he got in, he went in there and never got out. But, um, I mean, that whole case was just, man, crazy. Um, but then, I, you know, doing some research, um, I found out, too, that um, Huey P. Newton did not want George Jackson released. And he felt that it would be a threat to him and his his leadership at that time and him being the, you know, kind of like the top one uh, of the movement. And he felt threatened by um, George Jackson and the fact that he had, you know, so, such a large following and he's incarcerated, um, that his books, you know, blood in my eye, all of that. So um, mm-hmm. that was just really interesting to me because, to talk about, you know, fighting for liberation, you know, for black people, and he did not want them to get out. So that became a whole issue with um, the lawyer that was involved. Um, And it's just so much. I'm trying to recall all the details of the case, but um, there's just somebody I wish that um, our young people and our people knew more about um, what he was trying to stand for and the fact that also the Attica um uh riot uh riot right. came as a result from, you know, his, his murder um in prison. Mm-hmm. But what he did was he was straight up revolutionary though. Because as his brother went in and held up the the, the um courtroom and all of that courtroom. When they, right. Right. And then when they went and, and um took over took over the cell block and took the guard hostage you know what I'm saying? And he was of the mind like, look, it's all of us and just these few people here. It's all of us. What are we going to do? And we know these people are mistreating us. We know that they're doing all kinds of, uh, you know, disproportionate things, like with him getting a sentence one year to life. So with all yeah. of the mess that was going on, you know, all the abuse, all the strife and stress that they were under, they was like, no, we can shut this down. So, you know, that was real a real revolutionary act, honestly. So, um, yeah, it's a it's a really deep case. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, and, and when you said that about um, um, Huey Huey Newton, you know, mm-hmm. I can see that because many of them were was was considering or saying that he could have been the next Malcolm X. You know, yeah. and for somebody to put that label on you, you know, you had to be a, a deep, deep person. You know what I mean? And like you uh-huh. say, the following he had, you know, two books, you know, Angela Davis, you know, they had the little love affair slash, you know, and, mm-hmm. you know, it, it was, it was. But, you know, as me and Cloud were saying, I think um, the the death of his brother, which – you know, to me, was kind of hmm. suspect also. Um, right. Um, you know, kind of, I want to say, took him to, to the dark side a little bit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, his brother did it trying to get him, you know, to get him out, basically. Right. That's what it was he was trying to do, you know. And, mm-hmm. and for, you know, the guards just happened to be there not to hear the call to say let him go, 
you know, just to shoot up the van, you know, no, that didn't sound right. <laughs> you know, right. that didn't sound right. You know, yeah. but yeah, the brother, the brother was very, uh, you know, and I'll be honest until Cloud brought it to me last week, I had never really heard of this cat. So, you know, I had to mm. do my diligence and I'm like, wow, you know, right. and like, okay, yeah. You know, so this is, you know, interesting. You know, and, and yeah. to say you get you get life, one year to life, you got to go to parole board every year. They turn yep. you down every year. You spend yeah. seven years in solitary confinement. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was really? I was going to say that one of one of the I was going to say the John versus Mills case, which is the case we're talking about. Uh, really set the was one of the um, critical cases for for people who are either in law or especially if you're a student of law in in California specifically. Um, it really highlighted some of the some of the specific issues going on with the legal system, in specifically with with what uh, California had on the books at the time. So um, I think that's another thing we have to credit him to is how he brought to light. Um, and brought to attention a lot of the um, inconsistencies with the with the California laws and some of the um, laws that were going on at that time. Uh, he he you, you gotta you gotta point to him because his case his case is very significant uh, when it comes to highlighting those issues and some of the you know I know it's, I know some lightweight reform has come since then, but for people to even Want to uh, make some changes and, and, and really identify some of the issues in California's legal system specifically. Um, I think that that case, his case, is one of those cases, one of those very very famous cases that you know. If, like I said, if you are practicing law, you are currently a student of law. That's that's something, especially in, in California. That's something that you cannot. Um, it's a case you can't avoid, which is which is kind of interesting because we talk, like you said, we've been talking about prison reform, we've been talking about the uh, prison industrial complex, and it's 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 such a it's such a it's such a self-explaining type of case. You know, it's not one of those cases that's very very hard to follow. So, you know, it's it's one it's one of many cases that should suggest that you know. There's a lot of ch- changes that need to happen, like ASAP. And you know, just looking at the um, information I put together, I was trying to find what I put together on George Jackson, but um, just even on the list of Black Panthers, people affiliated were in the Black Panther Party and in what happened to so many of them, you basically had three choices. You either um, were going to be exiled, you had to leave the country, um, you would be incarcerated, or you would be killed. And that was it. Those are your three choices for thinking and acting upon trying to liberate your people 
under the system of racism, white supremacy. It will not be tolerated. It will not be allowed. And to set a precedent for anyone who comes after you, who has any inclination to do any of these things, we are going to make an example. We're going to show you, we're going to show them what happens. And I think that this is a very, it's very important because a lot of, I think a lot of people are reluctant, you know, to do really anything, to do too much, to say too much, because we have such a legacy of, uh, you know, our people who stood up being murdered or being, you know, you know, incarcerated for exorbitant amount of times for crimes they typically did not do, uh, of course, being put in solitary confinement. So, I mean, I think that really deters, you know, they know what they're doing. That really deters a lot of people from wanting to, wanting to get involved. And um, Dr. Wilson, you um, had spoken of that before um, in um, her counseling young black children, and she would ask them, you know, do you want to do things for your people? Um, when you get older, when you become an adult? And they said no. She said overwhelmingly. Um, they would tell her no. And she would ask why. And they would, even at a young age, they could comprehend from what they knew, like even about Martin Luther King Jr., that if you stand up, you're going to die. They're going to kill you. You're going to get killed if you try to do anything for black people. And so the concept, that concept was very clear in the minds of young black children. So, you know, this is just very, um, it's very important. And one of the reasons why, of course, they did things like the Angola Three. Um, they had them in solitary confinement. They served more time in solitary confinement than any other uh, person in recorded history. They served in solitary confinement. Um, Herman, oh, goodness, I can't think of his name. I think he did the longest at 43 years. Um, Robert, what's his last name? I, I can't think of everybody's name right now. But he did 29. Um, the other um, man did 42, I believe. So I think 40, 43 was the record, and that was one of the, the um, uh, brothers in uh, the Angola Three. If y'all don't know about that story, please look that up. I mean, that is just so. That that's another story that's really. But what happens? What happens is inside of the prison or whatever with these type of stories and I'm sure that goes on today um, if you were a person who was farming your stance, you were socially aware politically aware um, of what was going on with black people you were a part of the movement you were a part of one of these organizations you would automatically be put in solitary confinement and the reason being is they don't want you to influence or rub off on any of the other inmates to give them any ideas, to help them to, to begin to see how the system is work is working, how their um, what they do plays into it, uh, what we need to do as a people, how we need to unify, how we need to move together. So they will automatically put these people in solitary confinement, you know, Geronimo Pratt, to um, George Jackson, to, um, like I said, the Angola Three, and so on and so on and so on. So um, there, it just sends a major message when you 
look into a lot of these stories. And just uh, get this short list really quick that I found that I had. Uh, Mumia Abu-Jamal, you know, we know he's still incarcerated. Um, solitary confinement. Um, William Brandt, he had to go to Cuba. These are all people who were Panthers or affiliate, heavily affiliated uh, with the Panthers or Black Nationalist Movement. Um, H. Rat Brown, incarcerated. Stokely Carmichael, we know he, he left and went, um, a.k.a. Kwame Ture. Um, he had left and went to um, Africa. Um, Eldridge Cleaver, he left the country. Uh, Billy Garland, uh, incarcerated. Um, I believe that's Tupac's father. Um, Fred Hampton, we know he was killed. Uh, Bobby Hutton killed. George Jackson, incarcerated and killed. Robert King, um, that's the one who I was trying to think of his name, incarcerated. Um, Huey Newton killed and incarcerated. Um, Geronimo Pratt, incarcerated. Asada Shakur, incarcerated. And then, you know, of course, she's in Cuba now. Uh, Bunchy Carter killed. John Huggins killed. Mark Clark killed. You know, so the list goes on and on and on and on, but this is just to show you. But you can't give a list like this of any white supremacist or white nationalist organization. You cannot give this type of list for any of those people. You can't read off a list of the KKK who was incarcerated, who had to be exiled or who were killed. And when we talk about these people, the the thing about it is, most of this was centered around two words, self-defense. People tried to make it as if the Panthers and other black nationalist organizations were just about, oh, we're going to go out here and do this violence. No, 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 no. They were about being able to protect the community straight up because they saw the police brutality. They saw the senseless murders uh, of black people at the hands of the system. And they said, okay, we have to arm ourselves, so we're going to use your laws against you for our benefit. We're going to learn your laws. We're going to do what we need to do. We're going to feed our children. That's one of the reasons Fred Hampton was targeted so much as well, um, because of the breakfast program. He understood the concept that when somebody feeds you, they're showing you love. And when someone feeds you, you are more inclined to listen to them. You are more inclined to hear what they have to say. And so that was their way in to the minds of black children to help them learn the knowledge of self, to help them learn about, you know, the social and political issues as young as possible. And so they would feed the children every morning. They would have on the weekends, um, you know, like little little plays and, um, you know, story time, and they could come in and have lunch or get snacks and things like that. You know, of course, they did things for the elders as well. So they had a lot of different um, social programs for the people. So they had to be had to be removed. But I just wanted to um, put that out there. Yeah. Um, and the names were Herman Wilcox and Albert Woodfox. They both did 40 years. And Robert King did 29 years of 31 yeah. years. Yeah, 29 years in solitary confinement. That's a long time. And, okay. And, and, you know, if you fast forward to today, it's it's really no different. It's really not. You know, they just found another way of doing it. You know, um, when you talk about the kids, you know, if you look at kids today, they're easily assimilated. 
You know what I mean? Compared to back when I was growing up, you know, um, no, because we had those elders out there, you know, letting us know what the real deal was. You know, but today's world, everybody's so assimilated or trying to get their own. You know, there is, to be honest, there is no unity, really. You know, and I think that that is one of the biggest issues that we do have. You know, we and it's done purposely, divide and conquer. You know, divide and conquer. Yeah, well, it is in the way this talk. They just kill you today. That's right. They just kill you. They shoot you. <laughs> you know, um, I was reading the other day where another 13-year-old kid was shot holding a toy gun. You know, really? Really? You know, and uh, cops are being, um, you know, acquitted of killing everything is justified and you know it's just another way and you can't you really blame kids today because that's all they know you know that's all they know it's basically survival of the fittest you know it's a sad sad state but that is the truth so what do we do about it just keep pushing and keep trying to educate you know um, like we said quite often you can just put it out there you can't force anybody to take it in and, and, and you know, uh, take up the 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 the, the calls as as we like to say sometimes. You know, take up the calls. You know, because kids are only emulating what they see today, and that's the truth. And it's all about getting that so-called American dream, which there is no American dream if you're a person of color. There really is not. That's my opinion, of course, but that's the way I see it. Yeah, it's a. It's a matter of introduction as well, you know. Like like you said, you know, if you introduce children to to stuff, you know, you like you said, people will be surprised at what what they'll gravitate to. And I think sometimes with the youth, people um, sometimes people um, underestimate youth and and just think like that's some old stuffy stuff that they they're not gonna really care about. But you know. A lot of young people can relate to revolutionary stuff because, I mean, when you look at most of the, you know, pretty much revolutionary movements, they played a, a big role in them. So, so I mean, it it just it just it seems like it would be normal for that to re- for that to resonate with with any youth um, the moment that they encounter, you know, various uh, documentation and historical references and just inf- the, the the plethora of information that's out there. About um, these unsung, pretty much unsung heroes, because there's so many of them out there that people don't know about. You really have to be a person that's like seeking out for the, seeking, you know, look, really looking and digging like a treasure hunt for for this information and looking for these people. And when you find one, it'll connect you to another one. And then, and oftentimes you discover people through other people sometimes that you didn't even know. Existed because you found one, and you're like, "Oh man, that person's connected to somebody I'm more familiar with." And like you said, Angela Davis may, is more is much more popular uh, than a George Jackson, for example. But you know, there are and there there are different figures who you might be who are more you know like like a Stoke a Stokely Carmichael, you know, somebody like that. We more most people are more familiar with uh, like we know. For example, Martin Luther King is, is is huge, but we know that there are several several figures that you can connect 
to a to a Martin or to a Malcolm to a P to a Huey, <laughs> you know. Mhm. Yeah, yeah. And here's another name I'm gonna throw out there: Robert F. Williams. A lot of people have no idea who. I remember doing a, a paper on him in college, you know, and he was uh, a civil rights leader um, and the head of the NAACP chapter in North Carolina, Monroe, North Carolina, in fact. And, you know, even back then, you know, he was basically doing the same thing that the, the Panthers were doing. You know, if y'all going to abuse us, we're going to pick up arms and we're going to defend ourselves. And it got so bad that him and his family had to go leave the country. He went that turn on him. Me, huh? <laughs> I said he went that yeah, turn I mean, on him. <laughs> yeah, I mean he had to leave the country. To actually, he had to go to uh, uh, Cuba and China. That's where he had to go at. Now, if you if you let uh, here tell, you know, those are bad countries. <laughs> you know, but that's where. Most of of our so-called um, black leaders went to get away from what was going on, the, the persecution that they were facing here in, the, in this country. You know, but nobody talks about Robert Williams. Why? Because nobody wants to talk about it. You know, so, I mean, and I'm saying this to say there are a lot, there's a lot of information out here on a lot of individuals that we do need to be educating our kids on. Now, and not just our kids, ourselves, you know. We need to educate ourselves on it as well. But how many of, of the so-called adults are even up to date on, on what, you know, what's going on? Once again, uh, you get a kid now, what did what the parents do? Go and buy them an Xbox. Go buy them one of these little uh, electronic gadgets and just let them play that all day. You know, feeding right into to the to, to feeding right into the assimilation thing and, and the uh, de-education of our kids. You know, that's all. The, you know, the brainwashing, whitewashing, or however we want to call it. You know, it's it's a very sad state. Um, we got seven minutes left in live airing, so if you want to continue to hear the show live, we will be going in overtime. Get on the phone last, 347-838-8622. All right, let me bring Mr. Michigan in. I'm sure he has some good stuff for us. Mr. Michigan, what's going on, man? Yo, yo, what's going on? Black African power. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes, sir. Maybe, you know what? While you're playing, maybe that's, yeah. that, maybe that's what we need to do, bring back the, 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 the black power sign, you know, the fist in the air. <laughs> Boy, that would start <laughs> up, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, I say what's up to uh, what's up to Cloud and also Renee. That's good to hear Renee voice. I haven't heard her in a while. Hey, how you doing, Miss? Yeah, what's up? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, um, you know, just from listening to Renee, that's another another thing that we must do is, uh, you know, a lot of times we assume that the black folk and white folk have the same issues, you know that. Um, American issues are, in fact, uh, black folks' issues. And uh, just from listening to you guys, even if you were going to attack some American issues, well, you know, these are separate issues that black folk have on top of American issues. So on top of being locked out of the political process, you know, a lot of the things that we talk about, 
and now we've got this set of specific issues that's that's uh, specific to us that we've got to deal with as well. But you know, I, I've always postulated that uh, white folks' issues and black folk issues are not the same, and you guys have pretty much is uh, you know showing it just from this show here. And so, for instance, <clears throat> the the type of education that a black child needs in European culture is not the same type of education that you would give to a European child. There's no such thing as a, as a universal culture, a universal education. Mm-hmm. But you'll, you'll get some blacks on here, well, you know, the public school is just supposed to teach you to read and count, right? That's universal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that, that's, that's not what education is. You know, and what what a public education really should do is it should uh, open the child up and get them ready to move into a consciousness, right? That's it in a nutshell. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I just want to I, I just wanted to bring that up is that, and also Cloud bringing up uh, Michelle Alexander, an excellent book. I mean. We have enough research now to to that we should be able to understand that. Who we are in this country is not the same thing as who white folk are in this country. I don't know why we can't see that shit. Excuse me, friend. We'll be, we'll be, we'll be a little bit more specific with that. You know, that's kind of general there. Okay. Well, again, you go back to the issue of what type of political ideology you should have versus being a Democrat or a Republican. Mm. Um, what type of public education that your child needs versus a a white child going up through the public education? I'll give you another one. The type of local politics and the structure of your cities and your communities and how public dollars are spent. How you need to organize yourself is not the same as how whites need to organize themselves within their community suburbs. Because of the position you've been put in, you have to practice a race-first ideology. You can't get around it. If you're going to survive, you've, you've got to practice it. In other words, you can't just have good police. You need black good police. But the black has to be first. Okay. You can't just have good public school teachers. You need black good public school teachers. You understand? Mm -hmm. You have to take the city. You need the cities and you need to try to be autonomous, right? Home rule cities. Because you're going to have to control the public and the private sector within your communities. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't get around it. Right. right. You can't get around it. Right. And uh, one more quick point. You know, and I wish SARS likes to, to, to paint, for instance, the Black Panthers, right? Mm-hmm. His, his one word answer for who they, what they represent or their political ideology is Marxist, right? Right. Mm-hmm. When, 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 when you look at a black struggle, Right, an indigenous black struggle, and what it 
uh, metamorphs into. What you cannot do is if 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 within that struggle, and they're situated within another culture, if they steal from or uh, uh, how would you say uh, take a little bit here from here, a little bit from Marx, a little bit from classism, you you can't classify them as Marxists. All you can say is that within their metamorphosis toward liberation, within the culture that they were in, they adopted some Marxist ideologies. That's different. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's another way. <laughs> that's another way of trying to mesh. When you label them with European terminology, that's another way of trying to mesh European terminology into some universal social theories, right? Like Marxism is not a European ideology. It's a universal ideology. And that's the danger that we fall into whenever we look at the prism of where we are as if we are one of them. Whether it be politics, you cannot, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Any people interaction area, you cannot look at it through the lens of thinking you're an American. It's no good for you. Hmm. Okay. Um, I got a question coming out of the chat room for you. It says, what about black youth who live in the country, small towns, and the suburbs? Say that one more time, bro. What about black youth who live in the country, small towns, and the suburbs? Uh Well, certainly, if you're talking about being able to control, okay, Politics is about the numbers, especially if you're talking about politics. So flat out, if you have blacks who are living in the country and you're saying, are they going to be able to control the country? Well, of course, the, the short answer to that is no. If you're So I guess you have to be more specific with the question. Are blacks in the suburbs, what about black children in the suburbs? What is your question? Are they going to be able to control the suburb? Of course, the answer is no. Okay, obviously, because he put in there, is their plight the same? As it relates, as it relates to the culture, absolutely yes. A, European culture does not see a black who lives in the suburb as a American living in the suburbs. They're seen as a black, for lack of a better word, living in the suburbs. They're not an American living in the suburbs. Hmm. So, so that that's okay. a, you know that's that's political. If black folk want to move out to the suburbs, you know, to say, hey, I'm not interested in organizing off based off racial lines, but you go ahead and move out to the suburbs. But you 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 should expect to get whatever comes with that. Hmm. <laughs> that's interesting. Very interesting. <laughs> ah. That's interesting now. I got to like that. <laughs> so you deserve what you get then, huh? That's right. I mean, <laughs> so, but anyway, I did, I did want to say what's up to Renee. I heard on a, a show the other night. It's good to hear from you if she's still on there. So I appreciate her oh, being consistent there. with her. Peace I'm to you, sister. Yeah, Thank peace to you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, he said blacks don't all live in totally urban areas. See, you see what we're getting ready to do now? We're getting ready to go play this game of, you see, in other words, 
what is the purpose of making that statement? And you'd have to go deeper into it because what you'll do, see, what, 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 what a question like that or a statement like that will do is move the goalpost and move the center of what we're talking about. Say, blacks don't live all together, so we don't need no race. See what I'm saying? That's the, that, that will be the next statement. Because we all don't live in urban areas, we don't need a race-based political ideology. See, that's the next statement. That's a game. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay. Um, huh. <laughs> you see, you see, you, you see how science is giving. Hey, this is science, man. It's not, it's not emotion. And when you look at it from a scientific <laughs> perspective, when you look at it from a scientific perspective, there's not a whole lot of dialogue needed. Right? Mm. There's not a lot. It's about precision. Precision. Mm. Yeah. So I've said enough. I'll sit back and listen. You said you said a whole lot there. You said a whole lot because um, basically we do know when push comes to shove, it's going to separate. Okay, where you live at? <laughs> it's going to separate. Ah, uh, but you know. That's just some that's some deep stuff you just said there, Michigan. It really is. Um, so what is what is the solution there? I guess that's 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 what we should be. What is the solution? Because we know we know what brothers like uh, uh, um, George Jackson, um, the Panthers, Malcolm. We know what they wanted. They, you know they they let us know. So. Fast forward today's world, today's society. What is the solution then? Do we continue? Do we continue to subscribe to follow that ideology and just make it more uh, imminent? I guess is a good word now than it was back then. You know, because basically you can say blacks have assimilated so much in, into this European society now to where. You know, can 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 we even go back to to that that type of um, living situation? Anybody? <laughs> Everybody got quiet on me. Don't get quiet. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you hear me? Uh, I, hear, I hear you now. I hear you now. Yeah, yeah. I, I, no, yeah. You 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 bring up a good point. I don't know if we'll be able to duplicate what we've done in the past as well. Now, I've given you guys my uh, philosophy on where we're headed. I think, you know, this thing we call the black community within uh, this European culture, I think it's finished. I think it's done. Mm. I don't think we'll ever be able to reproduce that. Uh, somebody say, well, that's negative talk, or that's you know, it's call it what you want. We'll let we'll let history play out, and we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. For the most part, I think the best thing for blacks is to, in small pockets, actually, I think it, at this point they need to actually spread out in America. Now, I know that sounds crazy, but at this point, I think you need to actually spread out. There's, there's places within America that where you have a- absolutely no blacks. I think you need to spread out 
and then just uh, go under the radar and just look to take advantage of any type of economics that you can in America. Leave these white folks' flags alone. Their Confederates, leave these white folks alone. Period. <laughs> Spread out. And guerrilla warfare. That's it. Mm. Spread out of guerrilla warfare. Oh, my. You know, that sounds good, but you know the problem with that? I, I say 60% of blacks, no, I would say even higher, 90% of blacks won't even go for that. They say, why? I'm living a good life. Why do I, you know what, you understand what I'm saying? Well, yeah, well, so I, what, that's what I'm saying. If, 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 okay, you know, if black folk believe we're playing a monopoly game where at some point in history there's going to be a do-over in America, mm-hmm. we we in for a rude awakening, right? There ain't going to be a do-over. So to me, if if we don't adopt the correct strategy, then you get what you deserve. When the culture lashes out against blacks, and it will, again, then you get what you deserve. Don't be shocked. Yeah, I have to giggle because you say it will again, and I'm thinking, but dang, if they're not lashing out already, I hate to see when they get back to the point where they are really lashing out. Well, well, you know, in history, what this coach has shown is that when when the economy goes bad, they take it out on black folks. Now, that's just a historical fact. Mm-hmm. And so, when when black folk lose confidence in their culture, they look to they look for someone to blame. Just look at history, and inevitably. Every time, they take it out on blacks. So if we believe that mass incarceration is is peaking now, it's going to peak even more. Amos Wilson told you that. The the, the individual killing in the streets, right? Police brutality. Mm-hmm. It's gonna it's gonna mm-hmm. go up even more because they're gonna have to lash out at someone. They're not gonna lash out at their own kids. They're gonna lash out at you. And even more so now. Because now they have a black face to blame for the destruction of the country. That's Barack Obama. <laughs> oh boy, ain't that the truth? <laughs> ain't that the truth? Oh, yeah. Hammer. Yeah, you hear that all the time, right there. Yeah, you know. And, and you know, I, I, I'm just being quite honest, man. I don't know if there's no. I I, I really don't know if there's no. Solution to try to—I don't even know what we would be trying to go after now at this point as a group. I, it, 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 we're in a tough situation. We're, as a group, we're in a tough situation. Of course, you'll have some blacks who do well, but as a group, we're, we're in a tough situation. Maybe Cloud, maybe maybe Cloud or Renee can—I uh, don't know. Maybe they got a solution. Let's find out. I'm sorry, y'all. It's just the for a minute. I'm about to finish. Oh, okay. I didn't hear nothing. I didn't hear anything. I'm sorry. It's all right. That's all right. We got JC finna come in. I'm sure he got something. Okay. A solution for us. You know, he always got something. All right, JC. What's going on, man? Hey, what's up, everybody? (laughs) So. Every, everybody says hi. Huh? Yeah, yeah, nobody says hi to me, but it's okay. Hey, but look, this we've been in survival mode 
we've been in survival mode forever. Our people mm-hmm. are going to continue to be in survival mode. Now, as far as a solution, uh, how, long, how, how many years, decades have we been talking about a solution? Ever since the NAACP, ever since all the marches, solution, solution, solution. Only thing we come up with are Band-Aid moments. That's it. We don't, they can't get together and come up with a solution because the so-called leaders that they appoint, it just seems like the radical leaders that we had before, the strong men and women, for some reason, it seems like the closest person to them after they have got assassinated is the person that they put in place. And then, therefore, they become more and more passive. I've noticed that about even Farrakhan, Jesse Jackson, you know, all of those, those people, uh, Al Sharpton, those people are passive. The aggressive people were always up front. And they got taken out, and they put passive people in there. So they are, now they just ponder to everything because guess what? They give them a little money here, uh, 30000 here to go speak, uh, 40000 here. So they're satisfied. When a person is in survival mode and they're satisfied with what they have, they don't have thoughts of anybody else. They only have thoughts of getting more, surviving even longer. They're trying to fit in where they can and forget everybody else. They don't care about what whatever happens to the other people that's under them. They only pretend because that's how they make their money, is to come in our faces and say, hey, guess what? We are here for you. But you don't see them out there um, doing what they need to be doing. As far as people getting together, look at all these rich black millionaires we have. Just like the guy that owns TV, owns TV One, okay, he finished that lawsuit against AT&T, uh, Time Warner, and all those in order to get his shows on TV. All he has is courtroom shows. That's all. Shows that don't, don't really mean anything. What is he building? What are these Jay-Zs and Beyonce's and stuff building? Look at what happened to Prince. Michael Jackson died in his 50s. Prince died in his 50s. Hey, that's probably going to happen to Jay-Z and Beyonce. It's just like they're sacrificing these people. They have all the money, like uh, Imani and that, some other uh, fashion model. They're complaining about there's not enough black people, uh, black women up there on the stage. Okay, one of them married to a Russian billionaire. Why don't they go and get their own stuff? I'm getting tired of our people keep crying, especially the rich Petty, no good ones. Instead of them going doing their own thing with all that money, they stacking in the bank. Because guess what? All they know how to do is be a consumer and spend. They don't know how to build, even when they have the money. And I get so sick of them. It, it just don't make any sense. And none of them have got together. Farrakhan has not got all these people together and say, "Hey, let's build a community." Let's do this. Let's do this. Jesse Jackson have not got with all those rich actors and stuff and try to bring them together. They're not trying. 
They're just in survival mode for themselves, and that's all I have to say on that. What happened? I don't know. It got quiet. I'm here, though. Oh, man. It got real quiet. <laughs> I don't know if people talk or just little oh, talk. My know. bad. I, I was talking. My bad. <laughs> okay. I had muted myself. But go ahead, Renee. Go ahead. Oh, um, yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, when are we going to stop complaining about what's so funny is, um, a lot of the people who are integrationists and, you know, wanting to be a part of the system and they want to push for that. And then people are like, oh, we've made progress and all these sorts of things. Um, but however many years later, um, many of our people still don't get the picture. Um, just because, you know, they say things are, or things are supposedly integrated, doesn't mean that they really are. It doesn't mean that you still have a fair shot. Um, they're always going to give you one or two examples of something to throw in your face and say, see, you all are included. Um, so, you know, I just don't understand why we we continue to, um, you know, look to be a part of what they're doing, uh, like the whole thing with the Oscars and with that situation. You don't hear anything else about it uh, anymore. But why was that not opportunity for black actors and actresses and producers and directors to come together. And and, and hopefully maybe they are, you know, right now. We just don't know about it. Uh, but come together and create their own um, major studios. Um, you know, even Will Smith and his wife, they have a production company. Um, people were talking about, and the fact that they don't really do a lot of quote-unquote black, um, you know, movies or whatever. They don't really do much in that way. And that um, I've seen a picture with um, a lot of their employees for their production company, and, I mean, I would say 90-plus percent were white. So, you know, I just found that really funny. So we come out when we get upset to say, oh, well, this, that, this, that, and the other didn't happen. But a lot of times when we have the opportunity to do something, do we really take that opportunity and try to employ other black people? Do we really take the opportunity and try to, um, you know, use it as, as a way for us to build up ourselves? Or when it's convenient, do we throw out the black thing? Like, when it's convenient for Jada and Will, they feel the type of way. Now they talk about being black. They throw that out there. But when it was time to hire talent and, and, and producers and individuals for your production company, oh, you weren't worried about blackness then because if you were, you wouldn't have an entire uh, staff of white people. So it's just very interesting. It's just very interesting. That's just how you know, they you, want it. <laughs> you, know, you know what you bring? I'm glad you brought Will and Jada up because – you know, I see her getting here talking about boycott the boy the the Oscars or what have you. Then I'm sitting here looking at her son dressing up like a woman, putting on women. You know, so no, no, no. You know that's what, like I say, they, 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 both sides of the aisle. 
you know, when, like you just said, when it benefits them, yes, let's be black. But when they're not, yeah. let's be worldly or, or or whatever they're calling it these days, you know, metro <laughs> or whatever, you know. And I mean, that's during the, the during the, you know, during the forties, forties, fifties, and sixties, especially during the forties, that you know that the um, a lot of films were actually owned uh, and produced by black people, African Americans. Mm-hmm. It was more businesses owned by African Americans, just like the Negro League. The Negro League would be out there whooping everybody. But guess yep. what? They didn't want that because they saw their talent. So what did they went in there and do? Mm-hmm. They went in, in there and tried to steal their best players, and they ran them out of right. business. Okay, just look. This this is a very weird thing. Just like the twerking, okay? This twerking yep. came out. They they have the world's best trucker, a blonde, blue-eyed white girl with over mm-hmm. twenty-six million and thirty-six million views, two million and something followers. And guess what? That's all she did. They take everything and they will turn it into um, a business. While our people, they turn it into Fun, and they turn it into some menstrual stuff. See, right. they take mm-hmm. what, what we what we show them, and they turn it into yeah. a business. They're doing that constantly. Now, look, we we are still consumers. Even these rich, rich movie stars, yeah. these rich athletes, they're still consumers. Except for uh, I, I can think what's his name, um, the guy that owned the movie theaters and invested. Yeah, he invested his money. Now, if all of them did like him, okay, if all of them did like him, things would be better. As much money as Jay-Z got, he went and sold his rights to his company to BMG, okay? So, therefore, he don't own anything. They own him. They own their voices. They can't do anything without their say-so. Because they're greedy. They give them a certain amount of money, and they give up everything. Look at BET. The dude sold out, sold the whole company to a white guy. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Ebony. We can't keep anything. We're greedy. Our people are greedy when they get to that point. They don't know how to build. They are scared. That's why uh, that point that you made about uh, everybody having a different pockets and all, they're not going to separate. Because the white man have told them before that guess what? They have to take care of black people because they can't take care of themselves. And then we continue to show them that they are right. Oh, you you don't think that uh, Bob Johnson should have sold out to, 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 so that he could join the, the yacht club? <laughs> no, he should. They should never sell out anything. What they should have did was they should have took that just like. White people do, they pass it on to their grandkids, and their grandkids, they keep passing it on. We don't have nothing. (laughs) He wanted to join the Yacht Club, though. (laughs) Yeah, you can't build generational. (laughs) You can't build build generational wealth. Hello? Yeah, I would would have just a little bit of a difference of opinion on the the Bob Johnson thing. let Let me give you an example. I believe that anything we do here is volatile, right? I don't think we should be looking to, even with our investments, I don't know that we should be looking to say that we're going to be here forever in America. That is my opinion. Now, for instance, I know uh, a couple of things that Bob Johnson did when he sold BET, 
is he he did begin to invest more heavily in Africa. Now, just just hold a second, hold your seat, because I know the first day you're gonna say we don't live in no damn Africa. What are you, <laughs> what are you doing? Put money over there. But you know, uh, 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 Marcus Garvey told us and he told us years ago. And you, you know what? I why don't black folk believe in black prophets? That we. We believe in white prophecy when uh, you know, but we don't believe when when black men and women come in history and tell us things and this is what's going to happen to you in this many years. Why don't we don't believe that shit? But we quit to believe the prophecy in the Bible. And here's what he told you. He said, and I've said this on your show, Mister Talk, a zillion times. Until there is a strong African continent, you will not see a major strong group of Africans anywhere else on the planet. Now, if you if you look at that at face value, it will make absolutely no sense. But if you put that in the historical context of how blacks have been, the relationship that blacks have had with the rest of the world, wherever they've been scattered out to, it makes a hell of a lot of sense. Right? So I would say this. If, in fact, Bob Johnson was, was taking that will and looking more to uh, get into the politics and the economies of autonomous black nations, I would say that's a better investment from that perspective. But if he's taking it to join the Yacht Club, of course, that's a foolish. I mean, if he's investing his, his money in, in Africa, sure, that, that, you know, that's, that's fine and dandy. You know, but we we have to we have to look at you know what's really going on is that these people once they build up something they sell it out they don't pass it on to their grandkids they don't pass it on to their family they don't they don't that's not generational wealth right there that's just hey I got all the money supposing right now they said okay the dollar ain't worth anything but the buildings and stuff you have is worth something okay uh-huh. so. They just took all the money and they don't have any building, you know. Mm. So what what they're doing is, you know what? If we were to build something, let's say we were to build some big giant mall somewhere, okay? And as creative as our people are, you know what? They will follow us and they will want that mall. They will want what we built because yep. they don't want us to have anything. That's just too much. It's just like. We, they don't want us to build up anything solid, a foundation, just like Black Wall Street, just like the banks. We only got three black banks left now, three black, black banks, and I believe there's one or two left in Chicago. You know, we, we, we don't even have that. We're doing we we but slaves to the dollar. That's it. Yeah, and I was also going to say um, – well, Mr. Michigan was saying, I disagree with that, with um, what you were saying, like, we shouldn't bank on being here forever. I don't know why. I don't know why not, because we got to deal with reality. And as things stand right now, <laughs> black people in general are not in any way connected to Africa. And I don't see that happening on any real level for who knows how long. You know, we definitely won't be here. Um, but the thing about it is this, too. If you're building wealth, why can't you build wealth here to take with you? 
Well, I don't know why, like, he, you know, specifically with BZ, you cannot build generational wealth when you are willing to sell to the lowest bidder. Like, let's be real, to the lowest bidder. You're willing to sell out. So um, you don't see these other major huge conglomerates out there now who started from one business maybe by this run by this one white man or a few white men in his family. You don't see them selling out their stuff like that. And if they do sell uh, out yes, they do, mergers, they, yes, they do, wait, hold on, yes, listen, listen, I didn't finish my comment. Can I finish? Right. I didn't interrupt you. And if you do see them merger, it's going to be something to where they still remain in control of the content. It's going to be something to where they still get to dictate what is being put out there. You had them being Sumner, Sumner Redstone, this old, old, wrinkled up white man. He is over BET. Like, this is what we got going on. JC was so on point when he talked about the fact that we allow them to take what it is that we create and what we do, to take it, start a business with it, repackage it, and sell it back to us. So they did that with jazz. They've done that with, of course, rock and roll. They've done that with, with everything. So now, like he was talking about the twerking thing, now you have all of these um, schools and these different um, twerk out and all of this stuff, most of which, 80% of which, owned and ran by white women and white homosexual men as dancers and stuff <laughs> that's owned by them who now market twerking. And they market it yep. back. They market it to white people and market it back to black people. I've seen mm-hmm. all kind of posts with this chick. I can't think of her name. Some white helper, and she is has this big thing company or whatever dance studio, or whatever she runs, and she does twerking and teaches and That's making. Probably. I mean, all kind of money, making That's all kind of stupid name. money. And then who? Prolis. It's called Prolis. That's the second white girl. She's. I, I yeah, think it's, it's, a, a, it's a few of them. Yeah, but this, yeah. Yes, I, I, yeah. It's a few of them. But, yeah, and what they do is, and in those classes, I mean, it's so hard to get into one of those classes. They're always packed, always full. And guess who you see in there? Nothing but white women, and you see some yep. Asian women sprinkled in there, maybe some uh, Latin, uh, whatever, Latinas sprinkled in there. But you see a packed dance studio of white women trying to learn how to twerk from this white woman with a flat butt and she's teaching them this is what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to move. And she ain't even doing it right. Sisters will blow her out the water. But still, and then now that's looked at as a lucrative, credible. See, that's the other thing. Now it's credible. When a black woman does it, and I've gotten on so many people about this, especially some of these brothers on social media. Oh, uh, black women always on and on the internet twerking. They always doing it. They always doing it. But when a white woman does it and she's teaching a class, now it becomes credible. <laughs> now she's a professional. Now she's an entrepreneur. She's a businesswoman. It's all right for her yeah. to do it. Ain't nobody's going to talk down on her. But if it's a black woman, she's all kind of things. Y'all know what words I'm going to uh, could use. But so I'm going to do a show Sunday, I think, because I've been meaning to do this topic, and it's um, going to be on culture vultures because they take so much of our stuff. And see, this is the game they play, and, and I'll be quiet. This is the game they play with it. What happens is they take our stuff, like I said, they repackage it and all that and sell it back to us. But when black people speak up 
and say something about it. They say, music has no color. Dance has no color. We're all humans. White people support hip-hop. White people support this, that, and the other. And what do black folks do? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it doesn't really belong because anybody can do it. They did the same thing with Eminem. He took that. He ran with it. He's one of the yeah. worst rappers. I don't care what nobody say. He's not He's not coming over top of a huge list from Rakim to whoever. He's got nothing on them. But because he's white and he could have a little flow and he's sitting up there talking about killing his mama and his, his baby mama and all of this stuff, it's all cool. Nobody's coming down on him, not really, and he's supposed to be the greatest rapper. So this is what they do all the time. Yeah, and they, they they have even taken the word. Of course, I'm not, you know, the word the word nigger, which I don't really use. I'm not right. Really it to explain. They take that too. I have heard mm-hmm. Hispanic guys, Chinese guys, what's up, my nigger? They and yep. it's, guess what? And it's some brothers around, and guess what? It's okay because they think that's, that's a term right. of endearment. They think because the white guy or the Chinese guy or even the Indian guys that's starting to say, what's up, my nigga? They think that, oh, I'm a part of this right here now. All right, this is not no more. Except, you know what? It's nothing cool about someone standing in your face in another color using that word, period. Because that's not okay. And any brother that's standing there and have another uh, person of, of, of a different race say that, guess what? You, they all out of point. They got a problem with them. Yeah. That's not okay. Hey, if I can, if I can jump in there for a second, uh, just a, just a couple of quick things. Uh, uh, and I, I think I don't think anyone on the phone, uh, particularly who's been at this at any length of time, understand that the, the liberation process certainly with we're, we're talking generations. So we understand very clearly that at this particular time, our strategy should be at least a hundred to two hundred years out in our planet. I said, well, black folk in America won't be here in 100 years or we'll be all locked up, and that, that could be possibly true. But I think if we if we look short-sighted at this particular time, I think we, we're really doing ourselves a disservice. Now, so we, we are talking about the reconnection to Africa. You are talking about a 100-year strategy, Renee, so that, that is correct. We're talking about a 100-year strategy. When I say it's not being here, America is – considered to be the great experiment. I know we've all heard that. It's an experiment, right? If if you want to understand the, the culture or where America is headed, you look at its business class, right? Look at its entrepreneurs. Look at where it's putting its investment. And you will be surprised that even white folk are not investing in America. Now, check that out. White oh, folk yes, are. are not Okay, hold, hold, hold on, Renee, because I'm going to – I could be – Huh? Yeah, yeah, I was, I was. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. All right. So I can be specific when I say they're not investing in America. Of course, white folk are opening up businesses on the corner. I mean, you guys got to – you know. Okay, most whites, most of their hedge funds – so we're talking about the organization of European money within America, the organization – when you're talking about the organization, you're talking about their hedge funds, uh, their institutional investments, right? Their billionaires, their business class, 
Where is their business infrastructure in, in, uh, looking to expand into? None of that investment is in America. Now, somebody says yes, it yes. is. Cool. Yes, it cool. is. Okay. Yes, it is. Well, let me be yes. let, let me be let me be specific and tell you where where it's not, and then you tell me where it is. There was a study you can go look at it. The top nine Ivy League European schools. Their portfolio, their investment, because you all know that a, a university is nothing but a business, and a business invests money. Their portfolios, the large, out of, I think it was out of nine, six of the nine, the majority of their portfolio, guess where it was at? Foreign investment into other countries. That's one. If you go and do your research on the largest hedge funds, or these specific types of organizations of white folk organizing their money. Go and look at where their investment is. If you look at your largest corporation, right, who have maxed out here in America, look at where they're investing their money. So now when I finish, JC, I want you to show me where this type of organization of white folk are reinvesting in America. All right. Okay. So, Keep that in context when I say this is the way that we should look at America. So that was my point. Look at it okay. as an investment opportunity. Get mm-hmm. into these markets. Get what you can get out of the markets. And how you preserve that wealth does not necessarily mean you keep dumping money back into America. You don't necessarily have to keep dumping money back into America to preserve wealth. That's the other point. Okay, and so because – yeah. Yeah, okay, go ahead, go ahead. Okay. We're almost out of time. Right. Go ahead, bro. Now, they, yeah. are, but they are investing in America, okay? okay. They are investing, in, listen real good, they are investing in the young people, okay? They have already invested in them because they've already been changing their minds on a lot of things, okay? They are investing in human beings now, okay? I'm not talking about infrastructure and stuff like that. They are investing in these young kids because guess what? These young kids are going to be the next ones to buy all, into all this crap that they are selling our people right now, okay? That, that means as far as changing their gender, identifying themselves as a, as a, as a girl when they're a boy and a, um, a man when they're a woman, they're investing in them. They're they're, they're building something new. So they are investing in these young people's minds because the whole country is already screwed up. So they're going to screw it up some more, and they're going to start selling other things to these kids. They're selling them some weird, defective dream. And they are into And, and guess what? These kids and these <laughs> other on, young No, no, listen. Come on, Jim. Listen. Wait, li- no, okay, no, listen. Okay, look. When one generation dies out, another generation come in, right? You have to have something to sell that next generation. You have to have ideas to give to them, something to present to them to make them think that the next best thing is this. So, therefore, if they present something to them, they'll buy into it. So, therefore, they will put their money into it, and they continue to make these people rich, okay? That's why they have this this gender thing now, they're buying into that. Because guess what? Now you're going to have little boys going out buying more makeup and investing in little makeup companies for boy 
it's for that's boys. A, that, that's just JC, JC, bro. Let me, let me okay. That's just part of yeah. That's a part of European culture. That's that sexual no, shit. That's just right. a part of European. No, but still, you Hold said on. that they're not investing, JC? but they are investing in the young people. I gave you an All example. Right. All right. Okay, bro. All right. All right. Uh, let me, Maze. Let Maze get in here. She been waiting patiently. All right, Maze. Where you at? Oh, yeah. All right, you oh, got the floor. I mean, uh, we hear people complain about what other people are spending their money. What kind of investment do people have that complain? I mean, are you invested in anything that's going to help America or somebody else? Hello? Who is she speaking to? Well, the one on Africa. About investing. Yeah, oh. about investing. Uh, doing things for other people. Are you practicing what you're preaching, or are you just talking? What is he talking about? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm talking about what you're doing. Other people don't what they don't do with their money. Are you investing oh, your okay. money in other people? Like if you got a black bank, or if you and if you find out somebody else bought something, don't like it, are you still doing business with them, or you don't click them with somewhere else? I got you. Okay. Yeah, yeah I, I do. My money. That's I what's my money. Yes, I, I, yeah, I, I, I have money in the black bank. I mean, yeah, I be, no. I mean yeah, that's and I have, I have my money in restaurants. I oh, have yeah. mine. Well, that's that's good. I'm similar to are you having other people just because you're getting something from your investment, or you just keep it to yourself? What? No, we have black, we have African American kids who work with in, in these restaurants, and in order for them to work in these restaurants, go back to school to get their GED. We provide bus fare for them, and we provide bus fare for them to get to work. So, yes, we do. Oh, that's fine. Uh, Anything else? I'm just asking uh-huh. a question that you just complained about somebody. You said your investment is doing this, or are you doing it? I didn't, I didn't complain about that. So, so let me ask you, you what, is, what, what, have, what, are you, what did you invest in? I invest in a whole lot of people. Well, I well, invest in a whole lot of stuff in children too, so they yeah. can make investments, so they can live and don't have to work right. for somebody else, work for themselves. Okay, well then we all doing something. That's all that matters. Yeah. Right. I said one thing That's I'm not doing. Okay, one thing I That's do not do. All that matters. All that matters is you're doing. Let me finish. I've been listening to you talk. One thing I don't do. I don't complain about what other people don't do with their money. And I've been listening to you talk too. And I don't have you looked around the curtain to see what these people do? Because you don't know what they're doing. You're just seeing uh, a hearing. But have you ever checked to see it? Did you know any of them and know what they're doing with their mind? You didn't have me. You didn't have me. I mean, either we're gonna think, either we're going to, either we're going to think in terms of trying to build up our community, or we're not. And if we're going yeah. to, um, we're going to do that. We hold on. If we're going to do that, then we have to be honest about beginning to practice group economics, right? That means spending yeah. your money with other black people. That's an important conversation to have culturally and as a community. Because when you look well, at the Hispanics, you look at the Asians, or excuse me, the Mexicans and Asians, you see them practicing group economics. You see them spending their money with other people of their race. So I also, don't see why that's a big problem. And you also see, and you also see other people from other races go spending money with them. You got the hair people. You go over there and you bask your hair. Yeah, that's you don't the have point. To. That, exactly. You don't have to. We shouldn't and be. You don't have to. Exactly. Okay, we we shouldn't be spending money with you them. You got places that you can get my hair from and you don't even have to step foot in there so to get it. 
You can have, right. you can but have business. I'm what you're saying is the point. Huh? What you're saying is the point. You and said other racist is, people spend money with them. Exactly. So we don't need our black people going and spending money with the Asians, the Koreans, when they're not going to put anything back into the community. They're not building up. They could give us. They don't care. They just get their money. So why can't we? So why can't we, as a community, begin to practice group economics more? Which means dealing because with people and how they spend their money. Because you don't like each other enough to do it. And you don't trust each other enough to do it. That's what the because problem is. What? You, have well, you, know, one, one, you don't like you each other enough and you don't trust each other Which one is it? You, I mean, which one is it? You say it has a long way. Yeah, let me, let me, let me, uh, can't stand each other and can't get along with each other long enough to do nothing. Yeah. If I can interject something. Well, maybe that's the people you're around me. No, 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 no. Let me talk. I heard y'all talk. I'm talking about experience. I ain't talking about what I know and talking about somebody else. You're a bit, and we're talking about, about experience, too. You're not the only one out here with experience. I didn't say that. You're not saying that, too. I'm trying to explain myself and use it up. But anyway, as I was saying, and we're trying to explain ourselves that you can run it, too, and you have to understand how that works. You want to have another chance? No, it doesn't matter. I'm telling you what we were doing. Because when you come in, you tell somebody what they're going to say. You know no, no, you no, no. I asked the question. When I came out, I asked the question. You and I said, I didn't say no, you. I didn't say you. I didn't say you. No, you didn't. All you did was come in scatting like elephants, Gerald. Are you finished with your tantrum? I understand what you're saying. Are you finished with your tantrum? You sound like a woman. Are you finished? You don't ask me okay. no questions. You don't ask me nothing, man. You don't ask me nothing. You understand that. You finished with your tantrum? But don't shut your mouth. You shut up. You finished with your tantrum? So I can speak. Are you finished? I don't need your permission. You don't run nothing on my end. You just have to do it. You can. But all you do is complain about somebody else's uh, money. You, you That's all you've been doing. Uh, no, of course people are going to be like stop that when they're on the Stop complaining about it. That's the bottom money. Stop complaining about it. Stop complaining about all that money. 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 Stop complaining about all that can I finish what I'm saying? I don't, I, my money work for me. I don't work for you. Do you get it? Well, go ahead and finish it. I've been there that for a long time finish. ago. Finish. A lady that finish. never went to school taught finish. me to do that. Finish. So do you get finish. it? Finish. 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 You go to one black person, and they treat you wrong. You don't go. You try to punish every black person just comes out there. You always give a person a chance, even if you gave away a little bit of money. It shouldn't hurt you to put trust somewhere else. That's what I said with it. Don't come to trust. Oh, he charges too much money. Oh, he's doing this. Is it about how much money he's charging? Is it about helping, helping people look like you get where they're going? Or is it just sit to the sideline and complain about it? No, don't. Ain't nobody on here complaining. We're bossing our opinion. I've heard, man, your opinion. Well, you sit on here and complain your opinion. So what you going to do after you get through with I don't care what you think, man. You don't do nothing for me. Who cares let me tell you, you let me tell that's you how I build up that's people. It. Let me tell you how I build up people. And that's it. And make sure that I invest in people. I tell people how to invest. I tell people how to invest so they won't have to be crying about somebody else's money. You don't matter. You haven't told me nothing and I'm surviving. I don't even know you. They're not choosing that. They're not choosing that. I'm just telling you now. You ain't nobody. I don't want to let me I'm going to give you uh, some examples hey, of people doing stuff for themselves. Is it like I told you the last time? I don't want to hear you. Well, get off the line, okay. then. Hey, you get off the line. Let's finish it up if you don't want to hear me. Close your ears until I finish. Because I'm listening to you. woman. You got it. I am arrogant. You got that right. And I'll stop.
they in the green room. Go ahead and say what you got to say. Okay. Yeah. Is uh is uh, Cloud still on the line? Yeah. Okay. Now I know you're the researcher. Uh, maybe maybe uh, one of these days we can do a show on where uh, Europeans in America are putting their investing their money. So we don't have to argue about it. We can that's that's easily trackable, right? <laughs> See, as I said, it's a science, so that's easily trackable. But what I was going to say to uh, May and uh, JC, you know. One of the um, if you look at any of the, any of the suggestions that we we say that black folk ought to do in America, That's one of I the mean. things we have to realize. Why? I'm gonna give you. Never mind. Go ahead. Go yeah. ahead. Um, um, yeah, 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 ahead, yeah. Yeah. One one of the things we have to remember is that for the most part, everything that we're going to suggest, we've already done successfully, right? Black investment into. Uh, "Quote unquote black communities." Now that doesn't necessarily mean it can be done again. It can be duplicated. You have to keep into mind the the, the time and circumstances by which, uh, you know, we've metamorphosed into what we are. So, you know, the ideas that black hates hate blacks, or you know, what, whatever excuses we want to use to say why we don't do it now, I think without taking the historical uh, look at what we've become. I mean, you would, you could come up with all types of adjectives to describe how silly blacks are now. But, you know, there's nothing that Mexicans are doing in America that we haven't done. Name one thing. We've already done it, been there, done that. The type of organization that you see Asians doing in America, the type of investments you see Latinos doing in America, the type of political organization engaging European politics from being Democrats and Republicans, We've been we old we old here been there done that. Question is what happened? Now, what's the answer to that? What happened? Did I lose everybody? They come in and destroy it and dismantle it. Okay. So now, so now, what do we do, Bill? Go ahead. If a man kicks a sandcastle over at the beach, what do you do? Build another one at the same on the same beach? Mm-mm. <laughs> if you want, if you are going to build it on the same beach, you need to. If you are going to build it on the same beach, then the first thing you must do is uh, create a a way in order to protect it and a a way in order to defend the sandcastle right. you think. So basically, the first thing you need to do is whoop his ass before you build it again. Or make sure you're in a position to whoop his ass when he come to right. kick it down the second time, right? Right. But so you, mm-hmm. what you don't do is scoop down a little bit from him and build another one. Then he come kick that one over. Then you take this mentality of, well, I'm gonna build a bigger one. And so now you're locked into this cycle of survival mode, right? I mean, how long are we gonna stay in the survival mode in America? Another hundred years? I mean, what's up with that? Right. Yeah, I mean, well, as long as we're just surviving, then that's the mode we're going to stay in, you know. Um, I don't necessarily think survival mode is a, is a bad thing. Um, I really don't think that we're in survival mode. I mean, in a way we are, in a way we're not. I think we're more in a complacency 
type of mode. Um, yeah, I can, I can mode. Um, you know what I mean? So on the mm-hmm. one end, it's survival in the sense of just making it from day to day, year to year. Um, but we're like, it's so many people now who are just like, cool. They're just okay with how things are. And it's a lot of fake outrage um, when something happens. Oh, and then that goes away in two seconds. And people just kind of like, okay, well, this is how it is. And, hey, so be it. All right. And you got, and you got two minutes to leave them. Everybody trying to get leave them. Right. They're going to all the kind of way. All right. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. All right, we 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 running out of time here, so what I'm gonna do give y'all a chance to get your last words in. All right, no long winded speeches right now, okay? <laughs> and we gonna start with Maze. Go ahead, Maze. You got the yeah. I love I love to get some of that pressure out JC because he's always got a whole lot of it in him, and uh, I, I just enjoy it because I told him I grew up me and my friend, not women, so that's how I can handle him with no problem and no pressure. I'm going to love him either way, whether he like me or not. But I still will kick his butt if I have to, because I got that kind of strength. So don't tell me what you can do to me when you don't know me. So have a good day. And, JC, you let a little bit of the stretch that you need to let loose off. Have a good All right. Thank you, Mace. You have a good weekend as well. All right, JC, you up. Okay. Anyway, yeah, that was a good conversation. You know, everybody's going to say what they have to say, you know, and all that strength. I understand strong black women and all that stuff. I still love Maze and all, but, you know, hey, she don't know me either. And at the same time, you know, she she speaks well on a lot of things, but still, she don't know me. Watch out. Hey, I'm done. I'm out of here on Friday. <laughs> all right. Have a good weekend, JC. All right. Uh, Michigan, you up. Hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to quit while I'm ahead. I'm just happy to see uh, Mace arguing with somebody other than me. So, <laughs> Uh, with that, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say I have a great weekend. <laughs> yeah. good All show, right, good show, good show, brother. All right. <laughs> oh Lord. All right, Renee, you up? Yeah. Thanks so much to talk. That's all I'm gonna say. Thanks, everybody. Have a great weekend. Peace. All right. You too, Mace. I mean, Kane. Mace, let's be talking about you too, Renee. Thank you. <laughs> All right, Cloud, what you got for me when we get up out of here, man? I'm going to wish everybody a happy weekend, but I also wanted to quick, quickly touch on, on for a second what, uh, what Michigan was talking about. Um, in, in 2015, um, it, there was a report that Americans invested, you know, particularly wealthy investors, the wealthy invested most of a large sum of their money, the bulk of their money, uh, was contributed to the Asia-Pacific growth which is $15.8 trillion worth of money. That was 2015. Okay. That's it? Yeah, that's yeah, cause that's when he, uh, he asked about uh, where Americans are investing money. That's all, that's all though. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. Thanks. Uh, you have a great weekend, and I'll talk to you Monday as well. All right, y'all. Another great show. We run the show on time, so I'm not gonna make a lot of speeches. A lot of great information. Um, if you want to know more about George Conrad Jackson, uh, plenty of um, video out there on YouTube. Check it out. You know, um, Fred Williams. You know, 
type in Fred Williams, NAACP, North Carolina, Monroe, North Carolina. There's a lot of stuff out there on him as well. You know, expand your knowledge base a little bit. All right. I want to say thank you, everybody, for joining us. It's been fun. But, you know, we got to get out of here. Remember, keep smiling and show appreciation. Give with open heart. Make sure you forgive yourself first. The biggest, best thing, learn to laugh at yourself. You ain't laughing at yourself. Everything else is gravy. All right. So it's been fun. See y'all Monday, 2 p.m. Central, 3 Eastern, 12 Pacific. Uh, Mr. Talk Randy, have a good weekend. Take y'all out of here with some prints. Later. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to enter this thing called life. Electric word, life has been meaning forever, and that's a mighty long time. But I'm here to tell you, there's something else. The afterworld. I never meant to call you when you saw Rome. I never meant to call you when you pain. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18+. Plus.